Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. First, we'll be exhaling all the things that we might be holding on to at the feet of Jesus, and we'll be inhaling the presence of God and the focus on God today. So let's do that right now. All the ruminating thoughts, every distractive thought, every um, thing that stands in the way of our focus on Him today. And inhale the presence of God. The wisdom and the timing and the perfection of God and his faithfulness. And I'll be reading from a devotional. Waiting on me means directing your attention to me in hopeful anticipation of what I will do. It entails trusting me with every fiber of your being instead of trying to figure things out yourself. Waiting on me is the way I designed you to live all day, every day. I created you to stay conscious of me as you go about your daily duties. I have promised many blessings to those who wait on me. Renewed strength, living above one's circumstances, resurgence of hope, awareness of my continual presence. Waiting on me enables you to glorify me by living in deep dependence on me, ready to do my will. It also helps you to enjoy me in my presence. As we are going into the uh, time of Lent, we'll be keeping Lent from starting Wednesday. And I know that some of us, some of you here, it might be your first time or introduction. So I just wanted to read a blog post from our Reverend Canon J. John from across the pond from England, okay? He puts things so clearly and simply and in a really, um, I don't know, it's nice. It helps you understand better. Now exactly what is Lent about? Lent is a preparation for Easter. Easter, with its message of Christ, destroying sin and death through his death and resurrection, is the most exciting moment in the church's year. Yet we can undercut this note of victory by being so occupied that amid the frantic busyness of our lives, we carelessly stumble upon Easter. Lent provides us with 40 days preparation to Good Friday and Easter Sunday that forces us to prayerfully ponder the death and resurrection of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. As the best way to appreciate a sunrise is to be there in the darkness before dawn. So a good way to appreciate Easter is to have come to it through Lent. We as Christians, of course, and Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Secondly, Lent is a preparation for existence. A fatal flaw in our culture today is that people do not know how to say no to things. It is now almost a virtue to give in to every desire that comes upon us. Yet a great element in Christian morality 
is to be able to say no to wrongful desires. Paul in Titus chapter 2, 11 to 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Lent gives us the opportunity to practice resisting harmful and hurtful desires. Trivial as it may appear, a battle won over chocolate, coffee, or cake at Lent may help us win a battle over lust, lying, or laziness thereafter. Finally, Lent is a preparation for eternity. If we take Lent seriously, then these 40 days can seem to be a long and often wearing season in which we never get our own way. Here, for a time, pleasures are put, up, put to one side, but Lent doesn't last. The darkness is broken by the joyful light of the glorious triumph of Easter Day. Here, there is a splendid parallel with our lives. For many of us, much of our life seems to take place in what we might call Lent mode. Things do not go as we hope, we do not get what we want, and our joys appear absent. Yet, for the Christian, there is that wonderful and certain hope that however deep and hard the darkness in our lives, it will ultimately be lifted and replaced by an indestructible joy. For those of us who love Christ, life's long Lent will end one day in an eternal Easter in which sin and death are destroyed forever. Amen? You'd all be seated. Welcome everyone joining us online and in person. Great to see you. So we're back today as a community in our vision series where we again explore together the core values we hold dear as a community. And we want to emulate collectively, live out on the daily. For our time together today, I want to explore together the value and benefit of integrity. Tell someone next to you, integrity. Yeah. Integrity is a lost value in a world of corruption, especially in the age of fake news, alternative facts, when trust in, in institutions are at historic lows where we're not sure what to believe or who to believe. But there is a sense of this growing suspicion that no one is really telling the truth. Well, not the whole truth anyway. Truth is sliced, polarized, and spun. But this just doesn't happen in the political arena. It happens in our lives, too, every day. Sometimes in our relationships, working relationships, colleagues, friends, just out in the world, we can't put our finger on it sometimes, but there is a growing suspicion that make us question our sanity and even fragility. We tell someone, this is what you said. And the, and the person says to you, oh, you're seeing something that's not fair. I think you're overreacting. Tell someone else, you're overreacting. Or you might have heard someone say to you, you might be 
a bit too sensitive. You're being way too sensitive. And so you know that something is off and offbeat, but you're not sure what it is. You're not quite certain why you feel this way. There's a word for this. Read with me. What is this? Gaslighting. Gaslighting is a colloquialism loosely defined as manipulating another's perception of reality. Manipulating. To question their sanity. And uh, Webster says this, it cites deceptions of one's memory, perception, and mental stability. So we live in a culture where we shift blame and escape responsibility. This happens in the political arena and in everyday life. What happens to a culture that continues to shift blame and escapes responsibility? It suffocates. It can't breathe. It loses trust and authenticity. We're not sure what's real anymore. We're not sure who to trust anymore. And that's why the gospel is such good news in an age of gaslighting. I even dare say refreshing. At a moment in time when admitting to your faults and mistakes is seen as a liability, or in the political arena, in the economic arena, is seen as a liability. Liable to lawsuits. The Bible tells us, God tells us in the Bible not only to quickly, tell someone next to you, quickly. I, and this is a hard thing for me to do it quickly. My wife always tells me, quickly tell me you're wrong. But that's hard to do because ego, pride. Do you know how smart I am? But you're wrong. Who cares if you're smart? You're wrong in this moment, in this moment in time. And in this instance, tell me you're wrong. I'm wrong. And you mumble it. The Bible doesn't just tell us to quickly own our mistakes. To own it, it tells us to confess it. And third, to turn from it. To own it, confess it, and turn from it. If and only when we do these three actions is what the Bible calls repentance. Re repentance, the spirit of repentance, the spirit of truth, the main conviction and work of the Holy Spirit is so refreshing to know that the Spirit of God convicts people of their sins and it sets people free and helps us breathe again. Now, I don't know how that works out collectively in a nation, but the Bible tells us 
we need to own our own mistakes and falls. Those three actions. It says go the extra mile when it comes to owning your mistakes. The Spirit of God is moving like that in the past and today. Let's look at this Psalm, Psalm 51, David's prayer after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then covered it up with the greatest conspiracy in Israel by killing her husband Uriah. A king, absolute power in Israel, repents and does all three. Quickly owns it, confesses it, and turns from it. And this is his prayer. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David is not sorry for being caught. Because sometimes I am sorry for just being caught by my wife. I'm not sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for being caught of eating that thing at 1 a.m. She goes, I told you, you snore louder when you eat after 8. That's how she knows I ate at night. Here, David is not sorry for being caught. He's sorry for the sin. He's sorry for his mistakes. He's sorry for the damages done. And that's why he says, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He takes responsibility and even the consequences. And this is the king who could conceal it, who could refuse it. And no one would be able to. He could gaslight a whole nation. And so you see the spirit of David and the heart of God, and why the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, and his prayer is creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. repentance. But if we're being honest, we live in the spirit and the age of Trump, where we're seduced by lying, by deception. Because the truth is, in, out in the open, deception is rewarded and truth is punished. And we have to ask ourselves, are we being influenced by the spirit of the age or by the spirit of truth, who is the spirit of God? So, is this repented life, this life of integrity, even possible? Ask someone, is it? Is it possible? Do you know someone that lives this, models this like David? But that's a misnomer about integrity. A lot of people think that when we talk about integrity, we're talking about being completely uptight. You know? Yeah, don't do that. Or do this. You know, whiny voice. 
and you're kind of stuck up. We think the people with, who, who, are, who read the fine print and, and are kind of like annoying or perfect. But integrity is not those things. It's not about living a perfect life. It's about living a whole life, an honest life. Because the word integrity evolved from the Latin adjective integer, meaning whole or complete, is defined as an undivided or unbroken completeness or a state of being complete or whole. And remember, an integer can be negative, can be a fragment, or right? And positive numbers, long as as whole. It can be negative or positive. So what does it mean to live a life of integrity? It means to own your whole life. The hills and the valleys. Our mistakes and our achievement. It means to be honest about both. That's what a life of integrity is. It's a confessed life and a life of celebration. A lot of people focus simply on not sinning, but that's not a life of integrity. A life of integrity is both, the hills and the valleys. Achievement, success, victories, battles, and blessing. So that's the question. How do we become people of integrity? Or in short, live a life of authenticity? Well, James tells us how. Let's turn our passage here. And this is what James says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Paul, how you drink that really quick is a skill. <laughs> I saw you last week. You were like, I haven't noticed you drank it. Because you can't take anyone seriously, a man anyway, who drinks from a straw. I really believe that. So I'm sorry. But here James says confess your sins to one another. It doesn't say confess your sins to yourself or just to God. It says own your sin and then confess it to one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's refreshing to be able to own when you fail someone you love, especially in a marriage, in a relationship, in a friendship, in a hospital, in any sphere of life. It says, confess your mistakes to one another and pray for each other and you will be healed. Relationships will be restored. The problem is when, when you live in a culture of gaslighting and pathological lying is rewarded, we feel suffocated in relationships. No one admits to being wrong. You know, as a father, I had to learn this as my kids are growing up. Because your firstborn how many people, who's the first board? And raise your hand if you're the first board. You're the eldest. You guys have all, yeah. All serious people. 
all the burden, all the parents. I mean, when you're, if you're the eldest, we make our mistakes on you, right? I mean, a dad is never a dad. He was, you weren't born a dad. So we put all our fears on the firstborn. And perfectionism is sort of like imputed on the firstborn. And, and my son, Nathan, was a very special kid when he was born. When he was born, he looked like a prince. He came out with hair that was perfectly like, it was just, he, he was just a really good looking kid. Everywhere, you know, he would go, he would get free things. He, sometimes he would get, one person offered him free jajangmyeon for life because he was so cute. And so I didn't know I was a tiger parent until I became a tiger parent. I said, hey, your goal is to get into Harvard. That's not that hard. You could do it because you're special. And, you know, the, the truth is, I should have been more patient, less neurotic, and kinder with my firstborn. My secondborn, he's gotten away with murder. <laughs> because I've learned from the firstborn. But, but the relationships get strained in, in teenage years because they want independence. And, you know, my son is gifted in his own right, but I had my own projections of what a safe life is, right? What a good life is. And I put it on him. And it strained our relationship in the teenagers. And I had to own that because if you don't own your mistakes, especially in a relationship like your son, the whole idea of psychotherapy is built on parental, the paternal relationships. The most important one. And so I've tried to own that. And for Christmas, I told them, I wrote him a letter after giving him two pairs of sneakers and four other things to soften him up, you know? And I said, Dear Nathan, more than anything else in this world, my only wish is that you feel seen, safe, and understood. I'm learning that's all we need to flourish in all the real places in our lives that actually matter. I'm sorry that I haven't always made you feel this way. Sometimes my fears get the better of me, and I project, I project them on you. But please be patient with me. I'm learning too. I wasn't always born a father. But my hope is that I become your number one cheerleader and best friend in this life. Love, Dad. Like it? But here it is. That was incredibly hard to write. I apologize. Should I omit that part? It's implicitly there. But it's so important to own as you get older, and especially with, with your kids and in relationships in general, to be able to say, hey, I'm not perfect. I haven't seen everything perfect, and I've made mistakes. I'm learning. That participle is important in our language. Not that I've learned it, but I'm learning it. Please be patient. That's, that, that's a beg for mercy. 
then the power dynamic switches, right? Because you're being humble. You're asking for forgiveness. You're making amends. You're owning it. You're confessing it. And you're turning from it. Just recently, after Christmas, out of the blue, we're just sitting down in the kitchen table this week. And Nathan mumbles something, comes down to the table with a cup and ice, and plugs it down right in front of me. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then he starts pouring a Code Zero. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, it's for you. Healing. I mean, that, this is healing for me. But when you confess your sins to one another, when you own it, authentically, that you're wrong, that you saw it wrong, that you were wrong, it's refreshing. Tell someone next to you, refreshing. Imagine spouses, friends who admit to their wrong quickly. In your job, someone admitted to their work that they were wrong quickly. Take the fault quickly, forgive me. I'll do better. Everything will be more refreshing. It wouldn't be so suffocating. You wouldn't think about how to talk to this person, that person. How are you going to do this again? This battle of attrition. Of this dance that people do with lies. The Bible tells us to own it, confess it, turn from it. Only if we do the three actions is that repentance. But there's healing that takes place when we do it. That's the cost and benefit. The cost and benefit of humility and repenting. That's integrity. So how do you become a person of integrity? The first lesson that we learn is what? Read it with me. What? Say it again. Fully. That's the key word. I'm sorry, not I'm sorry, but you made me angry. I'm sorry, but you took my food. I'm sorry, but you're, you know, sometimes you're intolerable. Okay, that's not an apology. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're dumb. Uh, that's not an apology. Fully. Fully. That's the integer. That's the common denominator in a life of integrity. You fully own it. Fully own your mistakes to God, yourself, and others. Fully own it. Then healing happens. That's when the magic happens. Reconciliation. Intimacy. Attachment. Flourishing takes place. And the Bible says, then you will be healed. Question I have for you is, how hard is it for you to own your own mistakes to others? Because that's, that would show how much the spirit of the age is influencing our lives. The spirit of gaslighting. The toxic culture of shifting blame and avoiding responsibility is influencing our interior life in contrast to the spirit of truth, who's the spirit of God. 
I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you today to not be sorry for the mistakes or the consequences that come with it, but for it. For the consequences and brokenness that we cause the ones we love. And own it. And only when we own it and repent from it do we turn from it. Because we don't want to harm others that we love and the ones we want to love most. I pray the Spirit would convict us. But living a life of integrity, like I said in the beginning, is not just about the negatives, right? It's also about wholeness. The good parts, too. Total life. So look at this passage. And it makes it very clear in this text, James says, from 13 to 14, he says, Is any one of you in trouble? Let him pray. In Greek, it says, In suffering. Is any one of you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you among you sick? Let them call the church, right, the elders, to pray for them. So you have suffering and trouble, and you have happiness, and then you have what? Sickness. What is that? It's your whole life. It's the totality of life. It's not just one part of life, not just the suffering, but the joys, the hills and the valleys, the themes, again, the mountaintop and the desert. Living a life of integrity is not just sharing the negative numbers, how many ever you have. It's about the positives, too. It's about celebrating together. And you know what? I haven't really seen this well in the church. The church is terrible at celebrating. We're really good at talking about sin. We're really good at Good Friday. Easter is a bit weak sometimes. Jesus died for us on the cross. Oh, yeah, he rose from the dead. Yay. It's, it's just imbalanced sometimes. And for people who have to sort of move toward <laughs> perfectionism, the spectrum being altruistic and good and talented, we're never quite satisfied. And when you achieve something, like me, when I achieve something, I'm like, I, I applied to the Fulbright program. I knew I was getting in. People were like, how'd you know? I, I gamed the system. I know now how to do it. And they're like, and I don't really celebrate that. I'm like, I don't want to throw a party for it, right? You, really selective thing, but you go, oh, yeah, yeah, Fulbright. Because in our neuroses, for us who have this propensity, proclivity toward perfection, we go, that's something I should do. I spoke in Urbana last December, and there were 200 feedback comments. 199 were like, this is amazing, this is great, genius talk. Where does this guy teach? Can I? And then I saw one comment. This teaching was all over the place. I think it was moving a little too fast. And then I rewind my talk. I think the person's right. I am talking a little fast here. People who have this spectrum only focus on negatives. You have a 99 positive comments. One person said, hey, you're, you look like you gained weight. That's it. That's all you focus on the whole day, the negative. 
And, and here's the ironic part about living a life of integrity. It's about this totality of life, this, this whole life. We're uncomfortable with the mountains, the mountaintop, and the desert. The hills and the valleys, we're uncomfortable with sharing both. We don't want to celebrate. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I... Or when we mess up, uh, we isolate. We push away from the world, move away from the world, push people away. And then when people want to celebrate us, we push them away too. But secretly go, that's kind of nice. But we don't know how to walk in it or embrace it. So a lot of times the highs and lows are just uncomfortable. So what are we comfortable about? Not talking about anything. If we're not talking about anything, how do we build intimacy? How do we get close? How do we really become a community? You can't. So comfort, obviously, is overrated. Put this picture up here. In my 40th birthday, this is, this is one of my favorite pictures of all time. Celebrations are paramount to life. Tell someone next to you, you need to learn how to party better. Tell, tell them, I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to celebrate you. Now, I, and I do this with, with our people in our church, like Kevin Lim, for example, back there. He got the highest score in his nursing exam in our church history, better than Johan, who is a super-duper nerd extraordinaire. He got a 97, Kevin got like 100. And if I bring it to him and I say, Kevin, oh my God, Kevin. And I, I came out one, one Sunday and I said, Kevin, you got, and he was just like, okay, thank you. And we celebrated three times. But he didn't, he, he, the truth is, you're like me. You don't know. And he's just thinking, I should do that. I'm awesome. You didn't know? But, but it's, it's more like you're uncomfortable with it, right? You're, you're uncomfortable with it. You don't know how to embrace your achievement. Just like I don't know, or I'm uncomfortable with it. Andrew Lee, I've walked with him for, for his surgery, general surgery residency for, like, I don't know, eight years, three years, five years. It's just really crazy. And all I heard all those times was, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I can never do it. My attending told me, I, I can't be one. And then he wins chief residency of the year. And it's on his wall. Yeah, give him a hand. Give him a hand. But he never tells me about it. All I heard was, I can't do it. I can't do it. Let's pray. And then he had the audacity to tell me when he became an attending. I didn't get the contract. They didn't offer me a contract. He lied to me. I was really scared at that moment. I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen to them? <laughs> He's like, I'm just kidding. I'm like, oh my. So, so we're good. We're good sometimes. We're better at sharing our struggles and celebrating our achievement. There, and there's not a good model for this in the church. We're terrible at this. And I'm hoping we can get better together. Amen. We need to get better together. And it's not pride to, share, to, to be happy about your achievement. 
It's not pride. It's pride when you don't want to share your struggles and you do. Okay, I'll do it. It's the same thing. The mountaintop and the valley, they're the same thing. If you want to live a life of integrity, then you got to sometime bask in your own glory. Because you did achieve it with the help of community. And we need to praise God for it. We can't just always confess sins. We also have to praise for the glory of God and the work of God in our lives. Amen? We have to do this better. I remember when Wendy Lee, Joe Han's husband, she went into the nursing program at Downstate. She was like, Doc, I can't ever show up anywhere because I need, I, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. Then she gets an award for the high, one of the highest GPAs ever at Downstate. Give her a hand, give her a hand. Yeah, let's get better. But, it's like, oh, but you, it's like false humility. Yeah, yeah. And Doc, by the way, everybody else cheated. I didn't, you know. <laughs> I was like one of the three that didn't cheat and still got almost perfect. And I got a merit scholarship. You should celebrate that. If you want to live a life of integrity, you have to own your whole life, not just one part of it. That's because that's also deception. So we have to become more comfortable sharing our struggles and faults, but we also have to be, we have to grow in our capacity to celebrate ourselves and others. Amen. And here it is. If you don't share your struggles, celebrating someone else's achievement feels shallow. Because then we feel like, this, why is this person succeeding, only succeeding, but not struggling like me? And then there's a comparison and envy that takes place. The truth is, if we live our whole lives on display, honestly, and own fully our mistakes, and own fully our victories... Intimacy results. Amen? That's a value we want to live out in our community. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. As we move into Lent, our theme this year is my whole life take over. I pray that we become a community where the presence of the Holy Spirit is felt in our struggles, in our mistakes, but also in our triumph. So, secondly, we have to what? Invite others, deliberately invite others to celebrate and praise God together. To praise God in triumph. 
So will you pray this prayer with me today and make it our prayer as a community? All my life, take over, God, together. Father, we ask today the misnomer of living a perfect life. That's not what a life of integrity is. But it's about living honestly about our whole life to each other, to God, and to the world. Lord, help us become the light in the darkness in an age of gaslighting and shifting blame. In avoiding responsibility, help us to be the light in our workplaces, in our relationships, to show people we can quickly own our faults and mistakes because our security doesn't come from how people perceive us, but that we're, we're the beloved. And other people know us, our hills and valleys, our struggles and our triumphs. We're not our mistakes, and we're not just our triumph, we're both. Imagine how refreshing and powerful of gospel witness that is when we can do both well. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. So Holy Spirit, will you help us this year as we especially go through Lent? As we display and see the humanity of Jesus. Help us, God, be honest about our whole lives. Will you bow our heads today for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.